0: always feel weird when we have music like that and then it's me and it comes up and you're like, I was expecting something cooler than that guy. Uh, good morning, uh, glad you guys are here and I'm excited to dive into a new series. I, I have already gotten positive feedback on this series and we haven't even started yet, which is really weird. So uh, people have seen the sign out front that says unentitled. And I've, I've had some people like stop and say, great, finally, you're gonna talk to those millennials. That's not what this is about, just in case uh, you're wondering. And uh, often, uh, just this is a side note, this is for free, you don't have to write this down. Usually when we label somebody something like unentitled, it says more about us than it does about them. So just keep that, uh, just tuck that away in your pocket. This is not about millennials, this is about the abundance of God. We're going to be talking about that for the next few weeks. We're going to uh, start with this concept of, of what it means to be entitled and uh, hopefully today we'll hold a mirror up to ourselves and we'll take a long look and see if there's any of that in us. Uh, because I believe that that all of us uh, experience this entitlement in different places, different environments, different relationships in our lives. And the more we can acknowledge that and then find ways to root that out, the more free we'll be. That's what we're going to see. We're, the more free we'll be to really love people well and enjoy life the way God intended. So um, millennials, boomers, get your ears on. By the way, boomers, in case... Uh, you haven't been told this recently, your grandparents thought you were entitled, okay? That they said that about you, boomers, in case you just wanted to throw some shade on the millennials again. Uh, so here we go. We're gonna start with a definition of entitlement and we're gonna kind of work with a couple of these words here uh, today. Entitlement is an unrealistic, unmerited or inappropriate expectation of favorable living conditions and favorable treatment at the hands of others. Okay, entitlement is an unrealistic expectation of, of what's gonna come to you in life. Basically, I good things should come to me and people should be to treat me a certain way, be kind to me and, and generous and, and respectful to me uh, for, for no other reason than I was born onto this planet. Good things should come to me, right? That's, that's kind of that sense of entitlement. And I, like I said, I think, I think most of us could say like, oh, I know people like that. Yeah, I could tell you, I could point out their social media posts or tell you the things they've said or done, and I, I know people like that, but honestly, if we're honest, I think all of us experience this in, in different ways in our own lives, and we just want to hold a mirror up to that uh, today, um, because we all kind of can fall into this. Um, an example is from a, a comedian named Dave Barry, uh, who wrote, 25 things I learned in 50 years. If you haven't seen that list, it's hilarious. You should look that up. But one of the things he said is, is the one thing that, that all adults have in common, all adults have this one thing in common. We all think we're above average drivers. Right? We all, we all think we're above average drivers. You think that about yourself, I'm pretty sure. Um, I have a hard time getting away with that because I have had some public mistakes with driving that uh, my, my friends won't let me forget. But is it possible for everyone to be an above average driver? No, that's not what above average means, right? So we can't all be above average, but we all think we are. I think another thing that we have in common is I think that we're all, we're all we feel like we're entitled in some way. We, and we don't think it's unrealistic though. We think it's, it's realistic and it's deserved. Like the world should treat me this way or I should get this in the world because I earned it for goodness sakes. I worked harder. I sacrificed more. I had this run of bad luck, and now it's my turn. That's how we think about it. But is that really true? I think some areas where we're seeing entitlement pop up, at least I have in my own life. How many of you have been to the grocery store? Have you ordered something from the grocery store lately, and it was not on the shelf? You've had that experience? The thing that you went for wasn't on the shelf, or you ordered it on Instacart or whatever, and they didn't have it? I did this yesterday. I went to the store for uh, powdered milk, which I don't think I've ever bought before, um, but I'm making some killer hot chocolate for the photo booth tonight, so you should come and check that out. Um, they didn't have any powdered milk, and I was like, what's going on here? How dare they? Who do they think they are that I have this thing that I need, and I, it's not right here on the shelf. There's just a big blank space. That's entitlement. We, we th- why do we think that whatever we think of in our minds should be on the shelf whenever we go to the store? Why do we think that? it's just how it's always been. It's always been that way. And so it should always be that way. Why do we we think that? That, That's that's, that's entitlement. It's not a realistic expectation. At least it's not anymore. So you need to lower your expectations when you go to the grocery store now and just acknowledge like, hey, there might some things I might have to find a substitute for powdered milk, right? Which I did. It's going to be awesome, by the way. Uh, So I think that's an example. I think, I think driving is always a good example. We, we, we have this sense that everyone should follow the same road rules as I do, like the same rules of, of you know, speed and consideration and safety that I do. And whenever somebody breaks our expectations, we feel justified in yelling at them through the glass that they can't hear us, but we're yelling at them and, and saying things we hope no one ever hears, right? Um, be, because we're entitled to everyone should drive like we do. Is that realistic? Well, no, your your experience driving, which should tell you that's not actually a realistic, maybe we should lower our expectations of other drivers and just have a realistic approach. So what would be a realistic expectation for what should come to me in life? Okay, if if entitlement is about unrealistic expectation, what's a realistic expectation? This is kind of a foundational question for this series, so this is important, so I need you to lean in because I'm gonna give you what I think is the answer. We're gonna, I'm gonna present this hypothesis. What is a realistic expectation for what should come to me in life. And when I give this answer, you're gonna nod. You're gonna be like, yeah, that sounds, I like that. That sounds right. I believe that. That's probably true. So I just wanna acknowledge we're all gonna be probably on the same page, but we don't actually live like we believe this all the time. And that's, that's where the tension comes in. We're gonna, we're gonna agree with this answer, but when we look at our lives, we're gonna be able to find places in our lives, our thoughts, our words, our behaviors that don't demonstrate we actually believe this in our hearts. So here's the answer. What is a realistic expectation for what should come to me in life? The answer is God will provide what I need, right? I'm seeing some nods. You're right. God will provide what I need. Yeah, I believe that. That sounds like a thing you should nod to in church, right? Okay, you should, yeah. But do I live, thank you, Tim. Do I live like that? Is that the kind of thing, is that, does that define my actions and my words and my thoughts and my behaviors in the world? Do I live like I believe God will provide what I need? Not always. Most of the time it comes down to a disagreement between me and God about what I need, <laughs> right? I think I need this. And God has kind of said, you don't need that. I'm like, yeah, I do, but no, you don't. And we have this back and forth for a while, um, years sometimes, so how, where does this idea come from that God will provide our needs? Is it true? Let's explore it. Let's find out if it's true before we decide we need to live by it. And uh, then let's see how, how we can actually build this into the way we go about life, okay? So we're going to start in the beginning. We're going to start in Genesis. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn uh, to Genesis with me. If you're using the old-fashioned hardcover version, it's easy to find. Table of contents and then Genesis and we're going to be in the first three chapters uh, today. So in the first chapter, you get the creation story, right? This is how God you know, made all the things that, that, are, that exist. And one thing that jumps out at me when I read through the creation story is like, there's a lot being created. There's, there's just a lot. And then there's, like, then there's like two people. And you're like, there's all of this. And there's these two. Did, all, did, did these two people, did they need all of this? Is that, is that what they needed, or was it beyond what they needed? I think God created extravagantly, abundantly, beyond what was needed. Uh, just to give you some examples of that. So God created birds. How many birds did he make? I don't know. Uh, there's, there, there's a lot of birds out there. There are, in fact, there are 18,000 different species of birds. You know, why do we need 18,000 different species of birds? We need, we need chickens, we need turkeys, and eagles. And I'm pretty good after that. Like, I don't know what the rest of them are for, okay? But he made 18,000. Now, whether all those species were there on day one or, or those developed, but the potential for 18,000 species of birds in creation, that's extravagant. There are 33,000 species of fish on the planet. 33,000 different kinds of fish on the planet, it's a lot of fish. I don't. Why do we need so many different kinds of fish? And they're not all edible, and they're not all pretty, and they're just, they're just out there, man, and we don't even know why. And this is one of the things that that number goes up like every year because the deeper we go in the ocean and the more we explore down there, we find like, well, we've never seen one of these before. And where, where does that come from? It's extravagant, it's abundant. There are 900,000, okay, this is, I don't like this one, but it's true. There are 900,000 different types of insects on the planet. Just the fact that there are 900,000 insects bothers me, but there's 900,000 different kinds of insects. In fact, in, in an acre of ground, if you go five inches deep and you counted all the insects in an acre of ground, five inches deep, there's anywhere between 100 million to 400 million insects in an acre of ground. There might be more insects in your yard than there are people in America. But Why? Why? That bothers me. It's, it's abundance. It's extravagance. It's so much more than is needed. I mean, what can I, how many insects do we need? Zero. Why are there so many? I don't know. When we read Genesis, there's like this... this just telling us who God is, is what's happening, right? The Bible doesn't start with an explanation of why you should believe in God. There's not like this philosophical thing like, okay, here's all the reasons why you should believe that God exists and here's reasons why you should like him. No, it just starts off telling us what God does. In the beginning, God created, right? That's, that's who he is, that's what he does. And when he creates, man, he just, he just goes far beyond what is needed or what really even makes sense to us. It's just extravagant, it's, it's abundant. So let's pick up in verse 29, Genesis 129. Then God said, this is to the, the humans that he created. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. So God said, I, I, I made you guys and I, I've made food for you. In, in fact, all the, all the plants that are out there that you can eat, you can eat all those plants for the fruit, that's your food. How many types of fruit are there? I, I, I could probably come up with 10 and at some point you're gonna tell me, no, that's, that's a vegetable. Like that's gonna happen in my list. I can't even tell the difference, I don't know. There are 2000 different types of fruit on the planet. Not like species of different kinds of apples, like a Fuji and a Gala, apple is one type. There are 2000 types of fruit. Some of you are like, no way, look it up. Google says, there are 2000 types of fruit on the planet. Isn't that unbelievable? And God is laying out this buffet, 2,000 feet long, and going, Help yourselves, knock yourselves out. Was that enough? Did that meet their need? And then some, right? I, I couldn't work through 2,000 types of fruit in my lifetime. And He lays all that out for them. This is what you have. This is, this is it. We're learning something about God, He's a God of abundant provision. Uh, Move ahead to chapter two, verses eight and nine. This is kind of a kind of retelling a little bit of, of day six of creation. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right, verses 15 and 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, when we read that last line, or if you're aware that that's a part of the Bible, like there's a part of the Bible where God told the humans they couldn't eat from this one tree. And a lot of people's response is like, why, that's so mean, that's so restrictive. But if you think about it this way, there's 1,999 types of fruit that you are welcome to eat all you want. There's one I want you to stay away from. Does that sound restrictive? Does that sound oppressive? Does that sound like God is just being mean? No, God is being abundantly generous in what he's offered to human beings. There's, just, there's more than they need. There's just this one thing that God has said, nope, just don't the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat that. We could go into the theology of that a little bit more next week on why. But what we're learning about God is he is an abundant provider. He is generous and he provides more than the humans need. So what do we learn about humans in the early parts of Genesis? What kind of, what kind of people are we dealing with here? Well, let's, let's find out. Let's look at chapter three. We're gonna read verses six and seven. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So what do we learn about humans? 1,999 types of fruit. You can have one you can't have. And what do they want? They want the one they can't have. We were guessing they were about 15 at the time, right? Because this is what we do as teenagers. It's like whatever mom and dad said, mom and dad told me, don't go out after 10. Just nothing good happens that late at night. So what did I wanna do? Go out after 10. And so um, my children need to plug your ears right now. I, I snuck out at, after 10. Why? Was there anything to do? No, nothing to do. Why did I do it? Because I wasn't supposed to, okay? That's, that's it. That's what we do. God said, don't eat from this tree, and so what do they want? They wanna eat from this tree, now why? So let's look at some of what Eve notices about the food. So I want you to look at this in verse six and also kind of compare this to chapter two, verse nine that we just read. So she notices that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. What does it say in verse nine? That the Lord made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So that's not something new and special about this fruit. There's other fruit that's good for food and pleasing to the eye. What else she notices is that it is desirable for gaining wisdom. Why does she think that? Well, because someone's lying to her. We'll circle back to that guy in a minute. Where, what is their source of wisdom at this point? For the humans that are on the planet, what's their source of wisdom? How do they learn about life and how to live life correctly? It's gotta be God, right? If there's a source outside of God for wisdom... It's not good. If it's not from God, it's not good. Wherever this other source is, it's the enemy of God, we'll find out. But they're looking for a source of wisdom. They're interested, they're drawn to a source of wisdom outside the wisdom that God is providing for them. So it's not that God didn't provide wisdom, it's just they wanted something different. They wanted something more. And in reaching for more, what did they get? They got less. That's what happens. When we reach for more of what matters less, it leads to less having less of what matters more. I think I co-opted that from Dr. Seuss in some uh, fashion. Hopefully it's memorable. Uh, Reaching for more of what matters less leads to having less of what matters more. Got it? Me neither. Okay, well, reaching for more gets you less. That's what happens here. So before they reached for more, Adam and Eve had this innocence and freedom. They didn't even have to wear clothes around each other. That's a lot of innocence and freedom, Right? after, what do they have? Guilt and shame. They reach for more and they got less. Before they reach for more, they have the presence of God in a garden of plenty. After they reach for more, what do they have? They don't have the presence of God. They're they're banished from Eden. They don't have the provision of the garden of Eden. They reach for more and they got less. Before they reach for more, They can just take fruit off the trees. They're they're told to work and tend the garden, but their work is is an act of joy and partnership with God and cultivating and helping uh, the world flourish and thrive that God created. After, what do they have? God says, "You're you're gonna have to work really hard. You're gonna have to fight the thorns and thistles just to survive. They reached for more and they got less. And we're like, what idiots? You know, like, how could they be so stupid? They had everything and they sacrificed it for one bite of this fruit? sort of. What they did was they they traded dependence on God for authority to decide for themselves what's right and wrong. And in that trade, they lost. They lost. And you and I do the same thing all the time. We trade our dependence on God for the authority to decide for ourselves what's right and wrong. When I try to shape my image, my public image, because I want people to think of me a certain way. I want people to think I'm smart. I want people to think I'm funny. I want people to think um, that I deserve recognition or value. Whenever I shape my public image to try to get people to think about me a certain way, it almost always involves deception, whether it's telling an outright lie or whether it's hiding a part of myself that I don't want people to see and know. So when I reach for more value, acceptance, recognition, love, what do I get? I actually get less because people don't know the real me. They know a fake version of me. I reach for more and I get, I get less. And, and, and a few uh, interactions with people, I was kind of talking about this in the past couple of weeks. I heard a couple of different people say, when I reach for more in my career, I get less at home. I get less connection, less relationship, less investment in my family when I reach for more in my career. And this happens in a variety of areas in our lives. If you take a minute and examine your heart, you'll find that there, there, this is in there somewhere when we reach for more than what God has provided. I mean, we started with this, this question, right? What is realistic? What should I realistically expect life to bring my way? The answer is, God will provide for my needs. But we don't always live that way. We don't always live like we believe that. Sometimes we live like we're not too sure God is actually paying attention to my needs. And maybe, just maybe, it's up to me to provide. It's up to me to provide for my future. It's up to me to provide, to find ways to get the value and love and acceptance that I need. It's up to me to provide safety and security for myself. But that's not realistic. And when it's unrealistic, our definition from the beginning would say that that's entitled. Nobody wants to be entitled. Like when you hear that, it's never a positive thing. Oh, Justin, you're so entitled. I, I love that about you. No, it's, we never use it like, like that. It's not true about him uh, either. But, like, but that's, that's what's happening in our hearts when we trade our dependence on God for authority to decide for ourselves, authority to provide for ourselves. So what do we do? We've got to recognize the lie, first of all. We've got to recognize the lie that tempted Eve to eat this fruit to begin with. In Genesis chapter three, what is the lie? The lie is God's holding out on you. You I know, I know he provided you 1,999 types of fruit, but this one, this one will make your life better. This one will provide something for you that God is holding back from you. you. If you reach out and take this, you'll be happier. You'll you'll have more freedom, you'll have more joy, you'll have a better life. And it's a lie. It's a lie from the enemy of God. And it's one that he still tells all the time. Every every commercial you see on TV is some form of this lie. God's holding out on you. God has provided, yeah, God's provided some things, but God's God's holding the best stuff back. And if you want that, you're gonna have to go get it yourself. That's a lie. And we buy into it all the time. How do we get free from that? I think the, the um, cure is an abundance mindset. An abundance mindset says, I believe that God will provide what I need, that he is, he is a generous and extravagant provider. And, and this abundant mindset sets us free from reaching for more so that we can live sacrificially and generously. So we can be the kind of people that we want to tell people our kids are becoming, right? Is that what we want? We want to tell people our kids are becoming these kind of people that are sacrificial and they're generous, and that's who we want our kids to be. How did you get there? But we've got to develop this abundance mindset. God will provide what I need. So the challenge this week, I want to challenge, encourage you to cultivate an awareness of entitlement in your life. Most of us don't think we're entitled. We think we deserve whatever 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 we think we want or need, we think we deserve it. We earned it. We worked harder than somebody else. We sacrificed more. We've had our run of bad luck. It's our turn now. Where do we recognize entitlement in our lives where our expectations for what should come to us are unrealistic? They're not based on what God has provided. They're based on what we think is available outside of God's provision. Where do you see that in your life? Let's let's take some time and let's think through... Maybe this is a conversation you have at lunch and you ask the people close to you, like, where where do you see entitlement showing up in my life? Where where are some areas where I have an unrealistic expectation of what should come to me? And I have some suggestions for some ways, uh, some steps we can take to maybe spark an abundance mindset in our hearts. So uh, number one is celebrate someone's success. Celebrate someone's success. And in parentheses is without judging whether they deserve it or not, because that's what we tend to do. Somebody succeeds, they get a victory, they get a promotion, they get a raise, they get a nice vacation, and you're like, oh, they, they've worked so hard for that. I mean, they've sacrificed so much. They've had this run of bad luck. They deserve that. Absolutely. Congratulations. So happy for you. Or we look at them and go, I work harder than them. I sacrifice more than them. I'm a nicer person than them. Where's my nice vacation? Where's my raise? Where's my compensation? And we judge, and therefore we miss out on the chance to celebrate, a good thing that's happening in someone else's life. So what if we just suspend judgment, and whenever we see somebody around us who achieves a victory, who, who has a celebration, God is doing something good, what if we just celebrate with them? And just push the judgment off to the side? That is a step towards an abundance mindset. Just because they're winning doesn't mean I'm losing. We'll address a zero-sum game next week. Uh, number two: uh, let let a fault or a weakness show. This is kind of what I was talking about with image control. And we try to manage how people see us and what they think of us and you know how, how, how smart do they think I am and how reliable do they think I am and how you know valuable do they think I am. And we tend to deceive. We tend to hold back parts of ourselves, the faults and weaknesses that we don't want people to see because we're convinced somehow that if they see these things, they won't value us. And basically what we're saying is what, the value God has spoken over me is not enough. I want more and the value God has built into me by creating me in his image. I want more. So I'm reaching for more. What am I gonna get? I'm gonna get less. So what if we just let a fault or weakness show? What what if we just drop our guard? What if we just let somebody see a a pattern of behavior, a, a decision that we're not proud of, an action, a choice? I don't mean post this on social media for everybody, but I mean somebody close to you. What if you let a fault or weakness show? It's it's a step towards an abundance mindset. It's a step towards saying, man, God, I'm made in God's image. I know he loves me. And I really, really, really want that to be enough. So it's okay if if I let somebody see the real me, because if, if they don't value me for this, I'll be okay. I'll be okay. What we typically find though, when we do let a fault or weakness show is that others' respect for us actually goes up because vulnerability, scary to us, looks like courage to others. What if we let a fault or weakness show just for the sake of trying to prove to ourselves that God's value, the value God has spoken over me is enough? And the last uh, suggestion is to choose less, to voluntarily take less of something that you think you deserve just, just to spark abundance mindset. Just take a little less food at a meal than you think you, your, your stomach really wants. Just to prove, I'll be okay with less. I can, I can get by with less. God provides, I'll, I'll be all right. To take a little less credit than you deserve. Maybe you, you did work hard. Maybe you earned the thing and you, you deserve the credit. What if you just voluntarily take a little less than you deserve? Just to prove. To yourself, God has provided the recognition that I need. I'll be okay if everyone doesn't recognize what I've done here. What if you took a little less compensation than you deserve? Now now you're talking crazy. Now you've, okay, Adam, you've crossed the line. This is, this is not even smart. This is foolishness. Why, why would you take less compensation than you deserve? Who, who are we counting on to provide? If we really believe God will provide what we need and we trust him to define what we need. We could take a little less and we'd be okay with that because it's not up to us to figure all that out. God will provide what we need. Now, there's a real question here about people who do not have currently what they need. That's a reality. It's a reality in our community. It's a reality all over the world. And we're gonna talk about this in a couple weeks as well. What about people who don't actually have right now what they need? Where, how is God providing for them? There is an answer to that. And uh, since I'm not gonna give it to you today, maybe you can go explore, uh, dig through scripture, um, uh, read some and, and maybe see if we arrive at the same conclusion on that one. But for the most part, most of us, we, we, we don't just have what we need. Let's be honest, we have more right? We have more than what we need. God has abundantly provided. How, how can we demonstrate that we're confident that he will continue to do so? That just, that he's provided in the past is as, as proof that he'll provide in the future. Many people, many people in our church family and our community have come face to face with this over the last year and a half or so. Lost jobs, difficult situations in the financial world. And where's my trust really? Who do I really believe is, is responsible for taking care of me? How do I demonstrate that with the choices that I make? These are, these are hard questions. I don't want to minimize any of that. But I believe that the more we can spark this abundance mindset in our hearts, that abundance mindset will lead us uh, to be free, to live sacrificially and generously. So celebrate someone's success. Let a fault or weakness show. Choose less. Maybe you have other ideas. Uh, you try your ideas, share them with me. I'd love to hear them. Uh, but I think what, what happens when, when followers of Jesus do this. When we live with this abundance mindset, it's different from the rest of the world. If you, if you read uh, the book of Acts and how the early Christians, uh, how, they, how they survived and how they did what they did and how more and more people came to be followers of Jesus, because these people lived with this daily confidence that God was going to provide their needs. And God provided for them on a daily basis what they needed. And they, they, just, they just rested in that. They, they just were, were convinced of it. And that set them free. It set them free to love their enemies. It set them free to care for the poor, even though they were themselves poor. It set them free to be kind to people who weren't their biggest fans. And that, that lifestyle drew people to Jesus by the thousands. And isn't that what we want? Don't we want more and more people in relationship with Jesus? By the thousands. So this is, this is for us to figure out, the more we can get free, from entitlement and develop an abundance mindset that's confidence in God's provision. And the more we can live in such a way that, that will draw people not to us, but to Jesus. And that's what we're all about. Salt and light, that's how it happens. So I wanna invite you guys just to stand. We're gonna close with prayer. And I wanna invite you just to ask the Holy Spirit a really dangerous question. Whenever we ask the Holy Spirit to look into our hearts, it's, uh, it's dangerous because he might actually just do it. Um, and then we have to respond to that, but just ask the Holy Spirit that, to convict you. If there's any entitlement in you, in any area that the Holy Spirit will convict you of where that is so that you can address it and, and root it out and move on and ask the Spirit to lead you into action that demonstrates abundance mindset, demonstrates a conviction that God will provide what you need. We pray that prayer with me this morning. Father, I, I ask, uh, with a little fear and trembling, God, if if your spirit would just show me in my own heart where I have unrealistic expectations of what should come to me, unrealistic expectations of how people should treat me or respond to me, would you show that to me through your spirit? And do that for my brothers and sisters here as well. And as we are convicted of where entitlement has crept in, would you help us take the courageous steps to root it out? And to replace it with behavior that demonstrates, God, that we, we believe you. When you say you're going to provide for us, we just believe you. And we're going to count on you. Would you do that in us and through us, Father? Not, not just so we can live comfortable lives, but so that we can live free. God, we want to live in such a way that people are drawn to you through our lives. Would you do that in us and for us? And may we get to see a great harvest because of it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.